Sojourn. My name is Dylan. Glad you guys are joined us for corporate worship today. We've been going through Genesis for several months now. We are in Genesis chapter 26 this morning, 26 and 27. Most of 27 we will cover this morning. And as we open up God's Word together corporately, let's, let's go to God in prayer and ask Him to bless the reading and teaching of His Word. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank you, God, that once again you have, you have spoken and that we have the, the great mercy to hear from your word. God, help us to not waste the time. Help us to see wondrous truths in your word that your people might be built up, that those who aren't yours might be called in. God, be honored in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How can you alter someone's planned course of action? And there are lots of probably options you can do that. How, how do you change someone's mind? How do, you, how do you change their perception? How do you change the direction that they are planning to go to a different direction? Well, one of my favorite movies gave an answer to this. This is the movie Inception. So maybe you can try Inception, where I think the idea is that you, you plant an idea deep down into someone's subconscious, and, and then all of a sudden they, they change what they maybe originally were going to do. This might require, as the movie does, several layers of dreams that you'll need to go into. And so perhaps maybe planting an idea in their mind through inception, you, you could change someone's course of action. Seems like good. I didn't check the science on that. I don't know if that works or if it is just a movie. You'll have to figure that out on your own. Seems like an option out there for you. You could try another option. Here's an option that the, the people of God tried often. It's called lying. Passage this morning. Here we have uh, Jacob and, and Rebecca want to change the course of action that Isaac is going to go. And, and how do you change that course of action? Well, they tried a method and it is lying. So this is the, the choice for the people of God in this text. But what is, what is this lying, this sin, this failure due to the plans and purposes of God? And how does that work together? How does it work that, that we have Jacob and Rebecca lying and deceiving to change somebody's course of action? How does that change and uh, mess with God's sovereign plan and purpose? Is He going to shift in any of those things when we see deception coming from His chosen people? And what I think we see so clearly in Genesis 26, 27, is that somehow in God's infinite wisdom and His sovereignty, sinful human acts are actually incorporated into His plans and purposes. That is that sin and failure and lying even don't trump God's plan and purposes. They don't trump God's grace to accomplish His end. This is good news for the people of God as sinful failures. So in the Old Testament... And in the New Testament, and now, God's people make a mess of things. Constantly running against the track that God would have us on. Rebelling against His will, but God's plan and His purpose and even His blessings go on. So that blessing in the book of Genesis was to pass down, flowing through Abraham's line from Abraham. We saw him die last week in a good old age. It was passing through Abraham to the promised child. That would be Isaac. And now we're going to pass it on from Isaac to the next child. And it is affirmed again to Isaac in chapter 26 that he is a child of the promise. As you see in chapter 26, verse 1. There's a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham... 
And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, and the Lord appeared to him and said, Don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell you. Now you're going to see and you're going to hear even some words that you thought, like, man, I've heard that before. And you have. You, you heard it when we talked about Abraham. A lot of stuff is paralleling and there are intentional parallels between Abraham, his story, and Isaac's story here in chapter 26. And he receives the same call and promise. Here's what he says. Don't go down to Egypt. Sojourn in the land and I will be with you. And I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all of these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. This sounds familiar because it is. This is the same promise that God had made to Abraham before. And this is promise is saying he's reaffirming that this is coming down as passed through Isaac. That is, God is graciously and very directly reminding Isaac that this is the covenant he's made with him. That this is the promise that is passed through Abraham to him. That he's going to have land. All these lands are going to give to you. So that's the promised land. That he's going to have offspring. And that through his offspring is going to come the promise as well. And that he's going to be a blessing and be blessed by God. Now, this is, once again, God's kindness to His people. He is not required in any way to make a covenant with people. And yet, He made a covenant with Abraham. And this covenant is now passing down from Abraham to Isaac. And if we remember what it is to have a covenant with somebody, it is both a legal and a loving thing to make a covenant. That is, that God is binding Himself to sinful human beings and promising something to them. And he's saying, I want relationship with you. All of this is wrapped up in this idea of covenant that is passing from Abraham down to Isaac. And God is in no way forced to have any sort of covenant with humanity at all. Humanity has rebelled against God. They said, I don't want God. And yet God said, no, I'm, I'm going to come to you. And he comes to them and he comes to Abraham and he calls them. And he draws them into a relationship. And on top of that, he reaffirms these things to his people time and time again. He does this for us too. As the new covenant people of God, he, he comes to us and he tells us, this is the covenant I'm making with you in his word. We're reminded of it when we take the Lord's Supper that our covenant is a, is a different covenant. A covenant that has been sealed by the, by the body and blood of Christ. That we now have forgiveness of our sins because of the work of Jesus. We're reminded of these, this covenant and God does this for us because he knows. We need this reminder. We need to be reaffirmed that God wants good for us. He wants relationship with us. And so God comes to us and He does this. And He does this for Isaac here. And so Isaac heeds the warning from God not to go down to Egypt. But he makes the same mistake that you saw Abraham make. You look at verse 6 of chapter 26. So Isaac settled in Gerar when the men of the place asked him about his wife. And he said, she's my sister. Oh, here we go again. All right? He feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah. I mean, you almost could have substituted Abraham and Sarah in this narrative, and it would have been the exact same thing. But here we have Isaac and Rebekah. And he says he did this because she was attractive in appearance. So when he'd been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah. And so Abimelech called to Isaac and said, Behold, she's your wife. How could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought lest I die because of her. I mean, this is, this is the same king even that, that Abraham struggled with the same problem with. We have the same ongoing struggle that we saw with Abraham. And yet, as we continue through chapter 26, 
Isaac is still blessed, just like Abraham was. Abimelech still blesses him, and things still go well for him. So chapter 12, after Isaac's kind of big screw-up of, of denying and kind of letting your wife, you're like, she's just my sister, you can do whatever you want. Right? That's what's going on. After that, here's what happens to him. Verse 12, Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And so God is, is blessing him immensely. And he became more rich and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. So the Philistines, Philistines envied him. That is, they, they are seeing that God is doing something here. They recognize that even from an outside perspective that God is blessing this man. And so you skip down to verse 23. He goes up to Beersheba. They had all sorts of problems back and forth with these wells. And that same night, God again appears to him. And he says to him, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply you. So God is reminding him again and again, this blessing is for you. I will multiply your offspring for my servant, Abraham's sake. And so he built an altar. You remember Abraham built an altar to the Lord. And he called upon the name of the Lord and he pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug another well. So because the the blessing of God is so evident on his life, the people in the land are envying his possessions and are starting to get a little bit nervous as they did when Abraham was around. Abraham had the same kind of issue with Abimelech as well. And so there's strife, and there's strife over these wells, which we may not understand as well. Pastor Jay has told us multiple times, like, you go to Niger, you understand why there's, there's, there's rivalry, there's problems, there's strife around wells, because water matters when you're in these kind of lands. And so there's, there's problems around these wells. They're filling them in. He's digging them out back and forth. And so we finally see a treaty made. As Abimelech made a treaty with Abraham, we see a treaty made between the people, starting in verse 26. And Abimelech went to him from Gerar with his advisor and Phicol, the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We, plainly that the Lord, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And so we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us. Between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just if we have not touched you and have done, done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So Isaac, we don't see a ton about his life. He's not without his faults, though. He, he's going to show some more sinful favoritism of one son over another. He gives up his wife, or would have, it seems, if, the, the, if it would have came down to that. He calls her his sister. But still, he's blessed by God. Because the promises had passed from Abraham down to Isaac. He is the recipient of those promises. And, and because of his sinful activity, there's some problems Outwardly, there's some problems in the, the uh, abroad with, with some other nations, with Abimelech and his country and the Philistines, and yet he's still blessed. And we wish this would be the end of Isaac's kind of struggles, it would just be all about wells and the people he's living with. Ultimately, we know that as he makes a treaty with Abimelech, there's a lot more problems still to be ironed out at home. So Isaac is aging, starting, starting in chapter 27. And it's now his turn, he thinks, as he's dying, to pass on the blessing that he'd received onto his son. This seems simple enough, right? You, you've been blessed, now it's your turn to turn and bless. This is easy. This should be the good stuff of being a dad. This should be the, the fun part that you get to bestow upon your children blessings. It should be especially easy for Isaac because we have chapter 25, verse 23. You remember the word that came down to Rebecca. She's... God said to her that nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, the older shall serve the younger. 
That is, this was God's sovereign choice, took out the mystery of who should receive the blessing. The the older is going to serve the younger. Now, likely, this was a word given to Rebecca, likely because of Rebecca's sinful favoritism of her son Isaac, or of her son Jacob. She, she probably informed, maybe even lots of times, Isaac, hey, you know, the older still serve the younger. This is what God told me, so you need to remember that when it comes time for your death. If she hadn't, which we don't know for sure, I think she probably had, if she hadn't, my guess is that word had gotten out that Esau despised his birthright and had traded it for a bowl of stew. Likely those words, if Isaac is paying attention, have come to his ear. So he said, you've chosen red stew over your birthright. That's a big deal. Surely Isaac had heard about that. If neither of those are known, then it should still be clear that when it comes time to pass the blessing on, that it doesn't go to Esau, but it goes to Jacob because of Esau's life. If you look at the end of verse twenty or chapter 26, verse 34... It says of Esau that he was 40 years old, and he took Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. So here we have Esau again, and he shows himself time and time and time again to be a man who is driven by his selfish, physical appetites. And I think one commentator said it well. We said of Esau that he is putting appetite before principle, self-indulgence before justice, immediate satisfaction before long-term spiritual values. That is, he's the man who is trading his birthright for red stew, the honor of his family for Hittite women, that he usurps here in these two verses the parental authority over him by contracting marriage for himself. That he goes outside of God's design, clear design from Genesis, of one man, one woman marriage by marrying multiple wives. And we know at least of three given in the scripture that he marries. Two of them here. He goes against the honor of his family by marrying someone from Canaan. Marrying a Canaanite woman. Do you remember when we studied this how adamant Abraham was to make sure that Isaac had a wife that wasn't from the land? It was a really big deal. So much of a big deal. He said, I'm going to send my most trusted servant, my best servant, with ten camels on a month-long journey back to another land where my fathers are from to find him a wife because he doesn't want him to have one from the land. And so he sends them. Not intermarrying for Abraham was vital. It was important for purity, for for the sake of his family line, that they wouldn't assimilate into the land and to their gods, that they'd follow the one true living God, and that they would live in light of the covenant that God had given to them. And Esau comes along, and he has no concern for any of these things. He doesn't care about his birthright. And he marries the women of the land because he is not following in the footsteps of his father Abraham. He lacks faith. But Isaac doesn't seem to notice and is blinded in more ways than one by his sinful favoritism and his physical appetite. 27 verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim was blinded in more ways than one, it seems, at this time. So that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am now old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out of the field and hunt game for me. And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you before I die. 
This would have been customary. Dying men of the day, you pass on the blessing to your sons. You call on your sons and you bless them. And and Isaac, it seems here, there's this crazy verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 20, that says that Isaac is doing this by faith. Hebrews 11, 20 says that he does this by faith. And we, we know how messed up this decision is. And so we're thinking like, how in the world is he doing this by faith? Well, I think that even imperfectly, he, he knows and he trusts that the promises of God is going to be passed on. That, that he knows it's going to outlive him. That he hasn't seen the fulfillment. That, that God is still promising to do something through him and his family line. And so by faith, he's going to pass this blessing on. Now, we don't know the relationship. It doesn't seem to be clear the relationship between what we talked about last week and birthright and the relationship between blessing that he gives out now. That seems to be a little bit unclear, but at least they seem inseparable. It's not you can just take one and leave the other. They do not seem to be able to do that, even though that is what Esau is seeking. Esau has despised his birthright. That was a despising of the family blessing. What blessing could you want if you don't care about the birthright whatsoever? And so he is despising not just the birthright, not just the blessing, but God's promises that were passed down from Abraham to Isaac on down to he or Jacob. And yet still, Isaac calls Esau only. You remember that it, later on in Genesis, we'll see this, but that Jacob is going to die, and he calls in Joseph's sons. He calls in both of them, Ephraim and Manasseh. He calls them both in. This would have been customary, but Isaac doesn't do that. He just calls in Esau. He is going to bless Esau. He wants him to have everything. And why? Because he's blinded. Because he's like Esau. He too puts appetite before principle. Self-indulgence before justice. Immediate satisfaction before long-term spiritual values. If you read in chapter 25. Again, we saw last week that Isaac loved Esau because why? He ate of his game. He likes him because he gets good food from him. And in chapter 27, verse 4, you you see a hint of this. Prepare for me what? Delicious food such as I love. This is what he wants. He wants a meal from him. So he's, he's thinking and he's acting and he's being motivated by his senses, by his own selfish physical appetites. Instead of acting by the word of the Lord, Isaac acts based on his appetites, based on his senses. Now there's this great character in the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. His name is Augustus Gloop. If you don't know Augustus Gloop, like, Google it up. Because you need to know Augustus Gloop. Augustus Gloop, he, he wins a golden ticket, right? He gets a golden ticket and he gets to visit Charlie, or he gets to visit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And they go into this factory. And this is the first room that they go into, right? Like you're just, this is the entrance into the factory. We're going to have a whole day of enjoying all of Willy Wonka secrets, tasting all his delicious treats, and do you remember what happens to Augustus Gloop in room number one? Here he's eating something, but it doesn't take him long before he goes from whatever he's eating there to the chocolate river. And he is so driven by his appetite that he goes and touches and starts gulping drinks from this chocolate river. So driven by his giant appetite, he throws away a great day with Willy Wonka and friends. Right? He could have it all day in the factory enjoying special treats, but he throws it all away because he was so driven by his appetite to drink from the river that he loses it all and actually falls in and gets sucked up too. Now, in one part of us, like, we can't really blame him, right? It's chocolate river. This is what makes Willy Wonka's chocolate so special. But we can also see the foolishness of his choice. But I wonder, I wonder if we're not more like him than we know. 
that we need to think about what, what motivates us. Do, do we act by our appetites and by our senses, by what feels good, by what sounds good? Or do we act by the Word of God? What motivates us? What, what drives us? The fleeting and enticing aroma of the world or God's enduring Word? I think that driven by our selfish physical appetites and by our sensuality, we long for the applause of men rather than the silence of prayer with God. That we build up our comfort, building our fences and our houses taller and taller rather than living the joy of knowing, as Jesus said, that it's more blessed to give than receive. That we seek out even digital images on screens of the blessing that Jesus promised that blessed are the pure in heart for they will what? They will see God. And if we're honest, I think that we are much too comfortable with gaining the world and losing our souls. Jumping in the chocolate river and missing out on the factory. And this seems to be where Isaac is at this point. Make this delicious food for me. I'm going to bless you. He's foolishly using his appetite to decide something so important like the blessing that had been passed down to him because he likes Esau's food. He continues in verse 5. Rebecca's listening in on this. She doesn't like what she hears. When Isaac had spoke to his son Esau, notice the his and her. And how the favoritism from these parents is causing major problems. His son Esau, her son Jacob. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious, for, from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and bring them to me. So Rebekah, mother, mother of Israel, in her sinful favoritism of her son, will not have Esau get the blessing when Jacob is around. So she calls her son and she develops this plan. She knows the word that she got from God, that the older is going to serve the younger, and yet she doesn't go seek guidance from God in this. Say, God, Isaac's trying to do something and it's not working. She doesn't go to Isaac and plead with him, remember the word that God told me. Change your course of action. Instead, she decides to use deception and develops this elaborate lie. And she does this driven by her own sinful motivations to promote her son Jacob, with her own sinful bias, rather than, once again, God's Word. She, too, knows of Isaac's weakness, of his desire to be uh, filled with game. And so she knows this, and she says, I'm going to make delicious food. So she sends Jacob into Isaac with this delicious food, and the story continues, verse 14. So he went and took them, and he brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food, such as her father loved. Over and over again, delicious food he loved. I mean, he is so sensual that they all know this thing, and this is how it's described. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. 
And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. And he goes into his father and he says, My father! He said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. Man, Jacob rightly named deceiver, liar, heel grabber. Right? This is, this is part of his identity, not just part of his name. That here he even blasphemes the name of God. He said, how have I been granted success? Oh, it was God. He furthers his lie using the very name of God. Compounding his guilt and his uh, involvement in this elaborate lie that his mother has happened. And so, as unworthy as we saw Esau was to obtain the blessing and the birthright from God, it doesn't seem like Jacob is any better off. He proves no better. His character is deceitful. Blasphemes against the name of God. And I think that Isaac seems to know that something's off. You see all these strange questions like, are you sure? We're getting ready to read them. But his appetite spurs him on. Verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Isaac or Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and ate, and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And cursed be everyone who curses you. And blessed be everyone who blesses you. So Jacob receives the blessing. He receives a similar blessing to what the, the birth oracle was to Rebekah. Right? The older is going to serve the younger. That is what is given to him from Isaac. He also receives something similar to what Abraham has said. That is, cursed be anyone who curses you. Blessed be anyone who blessed you. And so uh, Jacob here is to... Be blessed in order to be a blessing to all of these nations just as Abraham was. And so Jacob gets the blessing and like a true deceitful man, he heads out as fast as he can just before Esau comes into the tent. And that's even the language here is like as soon as he went out, like he gets out of there as quickly as possible. Because we see starting in verse 30 that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, what happens? When he'd scarcely gone out, Esau comes in from his hunting. And he prepared delicious food and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled violently. He said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before all, before you came. And I have blessed him. Yes. And he shall be blessed. A blessing that... Isaac had handed down is a blessing that now can't be undone. He's, he's given it out. 
And you can see such the turmoil of the situation that Isaac is trembling violently and Esau's getting ready to weep bitterly, cry out bitterly, give this great yell. It's almost more than he can handle. We see in verse 34, as soon as Esau heard these words, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even also me, O my father. But he said, Your brother has come, came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, it's not, He rightly named Jacob. He has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to Father, Have you but one blessing, my father? He's desperate. Bless me even also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be. And away from the dew of heaven on high, by your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. So instead of getting even a piece of the blessing, Esau gets the anti-blessing. You notice that all the the contradictions, it's a reversal of Jacob's. Away from the dew of the earth, not in the dew of the earth. Away from the fatness of the earth, not in the fatness of the earth. He's going to live in a, in a dry and arid place, not a place that's full of, of water and, and growth and vegetation. We remember that the descendants of Esau were the Edomites. And the Edomites, we, we talk about this in, in the book of Obadiah, that they were the ones that lived in an arid place, a dry place. And they were constantly struggling with Israel, wanting to break free from the rule that Israel had over them. And they did. You saw it when we studied some of the minor prophets. They did for a brief time. But that's it. That's his greatest hope. That's the greatest thing that he can give to Esau. Your greatest hope is that for temporarily you might break free from the yoke that your brother has over you. And so Esau hears this and he responds venomously. Verse 41, he hates Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching and then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Man, what a dysfunctional family. You thought your family was bad. Like, this is as bad as it gets. And this is God's chosen family. Like, this is God's people. And they are so messed up. Look, Isaac is driven by this, his, his stomach to put a blessing in favor, sinfully favors Esau. Rebekah sinfully favors Jacob and, and plots this plan, makes up this huge deception, works out this elaborate lie to gain something for him. Esau, he's already despised his birthright. He marries multiple Hittite women, not just uh, one Hittite, multiple Hittite women. He plans to murder his brother and drive him away from him. Jacob, who's the one who's actually going to receive the blessing from God, is surely more worthy worthy than these, right? But no, what do we see from Jacob? He's a liar. He willingly deceives for his own benefit at the detriment of others. 
He's a blasphemer. He uses the name of God to perpetuate the lie, to gain some more advantage. And he's going to be driven and leave the promised land. The people of God is a wreck. Now he's clearly no more worthy or deserving of any sort of blessing than Esau. And these short bios are, are surprisingly bad on each of these people. And as the people looking back on them, we, we should be clear on this. And we can own up to it. They were off. This is awful. We can do this because we, we don't look to these fathers as saviors. That the bio that really matters is God's. And what do we know about Him from Genesis so far? That He's this powerful Creator. That there was nothing in the beginning and by His very Word, things came into existence leading up into the triumphant creation that is His very image bearers, people. We know that He is powerful. And yet we know that why God created, right? He didn't create because He needed to be served. God, in His overflow of His goodness and of His grace, of His mercy, of His character, overflows desiring to share with creation all that He is. So we know God to be good. We know Him to be gracious. That He he comes and He makes covenant with people. That He makes the space for them to know Him and to love Him. That He's dealing and He's involved with the dealings of mankind that He doesn't have to be involved in. That He's kind and extending not just covenant but blessing upon blessing physically even for the people of God even to the likes of a person like Jacob. He pours this out. And so when we look at this passage, we see the character and nature of God, that matters more. And what we need to see, the author is trying to get us to see, is that we don't want to miss what God is doing in this passage, because that's what we're meant to see. Although God doesn't seem to be directly intervening here, He seems to be behind the curtains, as it were. It's unseen. There's this deception that's taking place, and all this stuff is going on. We don't seem to see God, but notice what happens. And the author made sure to point this out for us. Through all of this dysfunction, through all of this sin, through all of this brokenness, through all of the stuff that's going on, who is still blessed in the end? It's Jacob. This is just as God had said. God had promised this is part of His plan. He declared it already. The older shall serve the younger. That is that God had chosen Jacob and said that he is going to rule over his brother. And indeed, this is the blessing that Isaac hands down to him. He didn't choose Jacob because of his worth. He chose Jacob because of his grace. We look at the story and everyone here is messed up and everyone fails to do the right thing. They're all unworthy to be called the people of God. They're all doing the wrong thing. And yet, God's plan is fulfilled and goes on. Isaac didn't derail God's plan, through, though he wanted to bless Esau and not Jacob. Esau didn't derail the plan, although he is working hard to receive the blessing instead of his brother Jacob. Rebekah didn't derail God's plan, though she looked out only for the good of her son and herself. Jacob didn't derail God's plan, though he blasphemed God's name and lied to receive the blessing. That is, that God's plan and God's purpose cannot be derailed. And this is a message that the people of God need to hear. As the Israelites are waiting on the edge of the promised land, looking into a land that God had promised to give them, as a small people looking into fortified cities with mighty warriors, they needed to hear 
the God's plan, whatever He has declared, what He has promised to you will happen. If He promised you that land, you can't even derail it by even your own sinfulness. And they were plenty sinful. Is this a message that we need to hear? Reminded of today, all the stuff we see around us, all the sin and brokenness and death, problems, and yet God says, one from every single tribe and nation is going to be a part of this kingdom that we will consummate in the end. We need to hear. That plan is not going to be derailed. No matter what army comes against it, He said He'd execute judgment on the earth. He said that He would uphold justice. He said that He would save His people. He said that He would return for them. He said He would make all things right. And so we can know, no matter what is going on in all of the world, all the problems out there and in us, in our lying and deception and our sin, and out there in lying and deception and sin that's out there, that God's plan won't be derailed. That we have a sovereign and trustworthy God whose word will be fulfilled. And somehow, in God's infinite wisdom and sovereignty, sinful human acts are actually incorporated into this plan. Perhaps this is nowhere more evident than the ultimate example that we see in Jesus. Because what happens with Him? Here comes God in the flesh, and He's betrayed. Sinfully betrayed by one of His closest followers named Judas. Sin handed him over to the authorities to be murdered. His friends, not many of them stick close by and they abandon him. Not okay to abandon your friends in their most urgent need. They leave. Authorities murder him. These are the worst acts of human history. The most sinful things you can do. And yet, they're incorporated into the plan of God. Acts 2.23 says this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Be born and let off the hook. You crucified Him and you killed Him by the hands of lawless men. You wanted this. But this was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We know this wasn't a surprise. He said it long ago. Isaiah 53.10 may be the most easy way to grab onto is that it is the will of the Lord to crush Him. This was part of it from the beginning. Or we can go back even further maybe. A little closer to home in Genesis. How about Genesis 3.15? Where God said of the serpent that He is going to crush your head. You're going to bruise His heel, but you're going to be crushed. This is speaking of the cross. So what does this tell us about God? It tells us that God is sovereign. He's wise. That His plan and purposes are going to be fulfilled. That He's gracious. Think of Jacob here. A liar, a deceiver, a blasphemer. And if you were to ask, who's Jacob's father? I think Jesus said at one time to the Pharisees, your father is not the father you think. He's not Abraham. Your father's this father of lies. Well, here's Jacob, a liar. Maybe his father's the deceiver as well. But what does God do with him? God made a promise. The the blessing's going to pass down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob even. That one is going to come from Jacob. To ultimately smash the father of lies. How is he going to come? It's through Jacob. God isn't done with him. God doesn't say, you've, you've messed up, you're unworthy. He's not done. He's gracious. 
And so God who is sovereign, who is wise, who is gracious, who is steadfast in keeping His plan, who is gracious in using sinful humans to fulfill His plans, what do we do with a God like that? What do you do when you encounter that God as we have in the Scriptures? Oh, you worship Him. You trust Him. And you follow after Him with all of your life. And we were reminded each week when we gather together of the, the glorious truths of the Gospel. And some there are some special weeks that the people of God gather together where we have the sacred family meal. Where we're reminded afresh and anew that what God has done for us is really for us. And it is by His grace that He has extended out to us life with Himself. We were reminded of this in the Lord's Supper. That is that... When we come to this table, we're reminded that Jesus' body was broken, that we might have a place at the table. His blood was poured out, that we might have forgiveness of our sins. And we're reminded, this is what Jesus has done, that you're united with Him by your faith, and that He's coming again. And so as the people of God, we join around this table, reminding ourselves that God's plan will be fulfilled. And it will even be fulfilled using us. And so if you're a believer, come, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice, be reminded of what God has done on your behalf. If you're not a believer, don't take this meal. It's okay to stay seated and, and to not take of this. But instead, we, we say, take Jesus. Believe in Him. If you don't know what that looks like, grab a believer, grab one of us. We'd love to share what that means. But don't take this meal. Take Jesus instead. For believers, come, take, be reminded of what Jesus has done. Be encouraged about what Jesus has done. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thanks for your plan. It would use people like Jacob and me and us to carry out all that you have intended. And God, we know what you intend. You intend to be honored. You intend to be worshipped by every single tribe. And you've said that every nation is going to be there. You've said that you're going to make things right. You've said that you're coming again. We can believe all those things because you've shown yourself over and over again to be this faithful God who fulfills all that you've said. Help us to trust that, believe that, and take this meal in faith that you might be honored. God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.